to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. brought with you today a Bible and or you have a Bible app on your mobile device. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter number six. We spent quite a bit of time in this chapter so far and this morning we're in part six of our series titled Portraits of, of Christianity and um, let me make sure this thing is on here. Um, and we have subtitled this series, Living Images of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what we're called to be. You know, we who put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we are called, by, you know, as Paul says, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ or, or image of the Son of God, which means we're to become more and more like Jesus every single day. And that's what this series is all about. It's answering the question of what does it look like to be like Jesus? What does it look like to become a living image of Christ here on the earth? And so to answer this question, what we've decided to do is we've been looking at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is perhaps one of the best examples of what it means to follow Jesus and be like him. Because in this chapter, it records for us Christ's commands for his followers. And it gives specific examples of how Christ himself lived as our teacher and mentor. And so what we've done over the last several weeks is we've basically just taken this, this chapter apart. And we're looking at the individual sections of it and to find practical ways, real world ways that we can actually follow Jesus in order to be more like him. And so we, so as we did, we kicked off this series by asking a very tough question that Jesus himself asks at the very end of the chapter. And the question that he asks is this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a, a big question that we have to grapple with. Why would we call Jesus Lord or God or Master and then turn around and not do what he says to do? And what we've talked about, the foundation of being a Christ follower is to become obedient to what Jesus commands for us to do. That we need to follow where he leads. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be obedient. That's the first characteristic of being a Christ follower is obedience to Jesus. And then in week two, we talked about how even though that we as Christ followers are to be obedient to Christ and do what he says and also what he does, um, that, that our relationship with him, keeping in mind our relationship with him is about that, a relationship. It's not about a set of regulations. It's actually about a relationship. We certainly need to be obedient, for sure. We certainly need to take holiness seriously, but not as a condition for our salvation. Okay, We... Um, we, 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 the second characteristic we've uncovered then is growing in our relationship with Christ is just that. It's a relationship. It's not about regulations or rules. And then in week three, we talked about how Jesus gives us an example to follow in our prayer life. Keith uh, told us a story about how Jesus, the night before he picked out his 12 disciples, he got alone with God and he prayed all night long. And the point is, is that if we're going to be Christ followers, remade into the image of Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. We need to pray. And not just about the little things, or not just a little bit, but a lot. People who follow Jesus are people of prayer. And then week four, we looked at the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And the part that we looked at was the part known as the Beatitudes. Excuse me. And, and what we discovered is that this section of the sermon is all about being sold out for something in our lives. And as we talked about, we are either sold out for Jesus or we are sold out for something else. Because let's be, let's be real with each other. We all sell out for something, whether it's pleasure or hobbies or lust or materialism or relationships. We, all of us, 
in our own way sell it for something. And what we learned is we either sell it for Christ as a Christ follower or something else. And so people who follow Jesus sell all the way out for him. And then we talked last week at perhaps the hardest part of being a Christ follower. The hardest part of being like Jesus is loving our enemies. And I don't think that there is any argument from anybody that this is a hard thing to do. But even though that it's hard, what we need to understand is this is not negotiable. All right? Jesus expects for us, those who follow him, to love our enemies. Jesus expects for us and commands us to love our enemies. And the reason for that is really, um, the reason why we love our enemies is because that makes us like God. Because the story of the gospel is really simply God loving his enemies so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for them. Because we were at one time God's enemy. And so if we're going to be like Christ, if we're going to be like Christ, then we need to love those who are hard to love. We need to love our enemies. And so far, this is, this is what we covered in our in investigation of what it means to be like Christ. Well, this week, all right, well, this week we're going to look at perhaps one of the most famous, the most famous quotes in the Bible. It's one of the most famous Quotes, you know, um, it's so famous, even people who don't read the Bible know this quote. People who are not Christians know this quote. People who hardly know anything about Christianity at all know this quote. Even people who hate Christians and despise Christians know this particular quote. This quote in the New Testament is perhaps one of the most famous in the entire Bible, but it's also absolutely one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted um, quotes in the entire Bible. You see, just about everybody knows this quote. And, and, and just about everyone's understanding of this quote is actually completely incorrect. Including a large number of Christians' understanding of this quote is completely incorrect. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this famous misunderstanding in this, this Bible. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to take it apart and look at it. So let's just jump in here and let's just read the text and uh, take it apart and shed some light on the most famous or infamous quote in the Bible. It begins in uh, verse 37 in Luke 6. It says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now... It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist or a biblical scholar, uh, for that matter, to, to, to see that Jesus is trying to make a very, very clear point. And obviously the point that Jesus is trying to make in this text is about judging other people. It's a central focus of this text. And, and it's, it's not hard to see that. Jesus is making a statement about judging other people. And, and just about every person who is not a believer, or perhaps, and perhaps the majority of those who are believers, think then that the application of this text, that the application of what Jesus is talking about here is for, is for Christians. We as Christians are simply not to judge anyone at all. That's what most people believe, that they're 
are, are, that, that we're not to judge at all. That we're not to judge anyone else for any reason. That we're not to judge regardless of who they are and what they do. That we're not to judge you know, uh, anyone's actions or attitudes or choices or behaviors. And, and that right there, that's the popular understanding of this text. We're not to judge anyone for anything at all. How many of you know people who, who believe this? Right? How many of you actually believe this yourself or perhaps believe this yourself at one time? I know that I did. This was what I understood and what I believed. Okay? Uh, long before I became a Christian and long after I became a Christian, I believed that Christians are not to judge anybody for any reason. And we hear it all the time. Who are you? I mean, who am I to judge? Right? Who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. I mean, when you are perfect, then you can judge me, right? When you're perfect, then you can judge someone else. I mean, we've all heard this before. And so this is the understanding that so many have of this text that we as Christians are not really supposed to say anything about what anybody does or what anybody, you know, about their attitudes or actions, regardless of what it is. You know, when we talk about sin or, or addiction or pride or infidelity or homosexuality, we're told, you're not to judge. Who are you, you know, to say what is right and wrong? I mean, are you God? In fact, I've heard even Christians say this, especially when it comes to sexual sin. They will say things, you know, like, well, if it doesn't affect me, who am I to judge? Right? Who am I to judge if someone, you know, what they do in their bedroom? I mean, love is love, right? I mean, who am I to say, Right? Who am I to tell someone that they need to work things out with their, with their husband or, or their wife? Who am I to judge? And we hear this all the time. And because of that, for the most part, this is the general understanding of this text. Just about everyone who's not a Christian and a large number of people who are Christians believe that we don't say anything or judge anything. And, 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 but the question is, is, is that understanding, is that the truth? I mean, is that really what Jesus means? Is that really what Jesus is actually telling us? I mean, are we not to say anything? I mean, that, that we're not to judge what's right or wrong. We're not to judge actions or attitudes or intentions of someone else. I mean, are we, are we not to ever, you know, stand up and say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not right, that's wrong. Is that what Jesus is actually saying here? Or is he actually telling us something else here? You see, for many, it's really, really tempting one verse or a part of a verse or just a quote from the Bible and then take it out of its context and try to make it stand alone all by itself. But really, can we do that here? Can we take this text, judge not and you will not be judged, and have it stand alone by itself outside of, of, of the actual context that's in this passage? I mean, I mean, if you were to take these words right here, judge not, and you will not be judged out of their context, we can see how some can come to that conclusion. But I ask, is that a reasonable way to handle Scripture? Can we actually take this text, can, it, can this text actually stand outside on its own of its original context? Because I ask this question is, is because in light of the fact that we as Christians, we believe that the Bible is God's own word. It is inspired by God himself. And because of that, we believe that the Bible is consistent and coherent. And we believe the Bible does not contradict itself. And because of that, we expect every truth, every truth in the Bible to fit into the entire narrative and the entire theme of Scripture. Every truth must fit in the Bible as a whole, meaning... The context of every scripture is actually the entire Bible. 
I, I mean, if G, you know, if Jesus means for us to, you know, judge not not judge anybody regardless of what what they do, is that consistent with the rest of the God, of the Word of God? I mean, when you think about when we read about God's loving us and having mercy on us, we see that theme from beginning all the way the way that He treated Adam and covered their sin, all the way through the end. That, that theme runs consistently; it never contradicts itself. In the same way, we can see God's view of sin doesn't change. And how God uses broken people, that truth, you know, is consistent in the Bible. And we see that with every truth that we have, every truth that we hold dear is consistent and coherent. And so looking at the rest of the Bible, can we see this kind of consistency with respect to how people interpret what Jesus, you know, says here about judging others? In fact, let's just take a look. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to, to Timothy, who's a young pastor, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Rebu uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now notice what Paul's saying here. He says, preach the word, teach people the word of God, and be ready at all times to do what? To reprove, which means to reprimand or to scold or to admonish. He also says the rebuke, which means to express sharp disapproval and criticism for someone because of their behavior or actions. Now, now think about this. Paul is telling Timothy that we're to preach the word and to be prepared to use the word of God to reprimand and scold and criticize someone because of what? Because of their behavior and their actions. Now notice, you know, if you're going to use the word of God to rebuke someone... If you're going to scold someone or reprimand someone, you must have the ability then to judge between right and wrong. Correct? You need to be able to discern what's right and what is wrong. You need to be able to decide or to judge if someone's actions or attitudes are in alignment with what is right or wrong. And if you doubt it is what Paul means here, well, the text just a few you know, verses earlier in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says... All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, there's that word again, for correction and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, Paul says, is the very Word of God and that Scripture is used for teaching people right and wrong, rebuking people when they're wrong, correcting them when they're wrong, and training them up so they won't be wrong anymore. And again, how can you tell someone you know, what's right or wrong well, you do that because you judge their actions and their attitudes based on the Word of God. Well, maybe I'm wrong here. Let's continue um, our look at Scripture. Look at Ephesians 4.25. Paul says, Therefore, having, away, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we're to put away what is false, which is what is wrong, and we're to speak the truth, which is what is right, with other people. Well, how can we put away falsehood and speak the truth if we cannot discern or judge between what is right and what is wrong? How about Matthew 18, 15, where Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Well, how are you going to tell someone their faults or their sin if you cannot, you know, tell someone what's right or wrong? How can you, you do that without being able to judge what is a sin or what is not a sin? Or how about what Paul says in Galatians 6.1? Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, 
okay? Which means they did something wrong. You who are spiritual, okay, those of you who actually know right from wrong, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be too be tempted because the thing that they're doing, even though it's tempting, is still wrong. So I ask you again, does Scripture teach that we're to never judge anyone for any reason? Are we as Christians bound to this understanding of the text that, and that we're just to keep our mouth shut? Is that what Scripture is actually teaching us? No, it's not even, not even close. In fact, what we see in Scripture is, is that we who belong to Christ are actually called to know the Word of God and judiciously apply it. We are to teach and rebuke and reprove and correct others when they are wrong. We are to speak the truth in love. It is our job as the image bearers of Christ to know the Word and to tell the world what the truth is. It's our job to let people know that addictions are destructive. It's our job to help people see that their sin keeps them from God. It's our job to help people see that there is only one way to salvation, that's Jesus Christ. It's our job to help people to see you know, that, that, that they need to be saved so they can escape the coming judgment of God. I don't want you to think about this for a second. You think being judged by another human being is bad. What happens when we are judged by God? The truth is we're called to know the truth. We're called to discern between right and wrong. We are called to judge. And the point, you know, that, that people, I mean, and, and the point is that people, um, that we're to point people to the truth about who God is. And how they can be saved before God judges them. And I know that doesn't sound politically correct. I know that doesn't sound popular. But according to the vast preponderance of scripture, we, the followers of Jesus Christ, are called to judge between right and wrong. We're to speak the truth about what people do and what people say. We're called to judge actions and attitudes of other people. And what, what that means is the vast majority of believers and a large number of professing believers, what they think about what Jesus said about judging here, what they believe is absolutely dead wrong. It's completely wrong. It's completely missing the mark. Because obviously Jesus is saying something else. Obviously in context Jesus is saying something else. But what is he saying? Jesus is saying, you know, we're not to judge. I mean, is he saying we're not to judge for any reason at all? Is that what he's saying here? I mean, what does it mean when he says, judge not and you will not be judged? Well, what we need to do here is we need to examine this text, okay, and separate this text from our own assumptions. We need to take whatever baggage that we have been taught, you know, by, by family or culture, and we need to take our assumptions and set them aside, and we need to examine this passage of Scripture in its original context. We need to look at the text in its original context. And when we do that, there are two key elements that we need to consider when we're doing that. The first thing we need to consider is the original historical context in which the Bible was actually written. You see, Jesus in his sermon is speaking to first century Jews. He is speaking to a first century Jewish audience that has its own culture. A Jewish culture that's very different from our own culture. A culture that's separated by about 2,000 years. And if we're going to take what Jesus says and find a way to apply it to our lives, we have to first begin with what Jesus was actually saying in that culture. 
Because what Jesus is saying has a clear and specific meaning to the people that he's talking to at the time. And any interpretation of his words need to be based on that original meaning in this historical context. And so this historical context is a first century Jewish culture. A Jewish culture that's dominated by Jewish religious life. Jewish religious life is dominated by a group of people who were religious elites. And they felt it was their job to apply and interpret the law of God. And these people were known as Pharisees. And this is, this is an important thing for us to hold on to and understand and keep in the back of our minds as we continue to look at this text. The second thing we need to take a look at here is, uh, is the immediate context of this passage. You see, when you look at the immediate context of this passage, what you're doing is you're asking some very basic questions. Number one, who's he talking? Who's actually talking? Number two, who's he talking to? And number three, what's he talking about? That's the immediate context. And for the first question, we know by the context that it's Jesus who's doing the talking. And for the second question, who's he talking to? We have to remember that this passage right here of Scripture is connected to an, a previous passage of Scripture. And, 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 and both of the, all, these, all this Scripture together comes together in this Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus was preaching a sermon here. Well, who's he preaching to? Well, Luke tells us in chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, he went down with them, stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples uh, were there and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had uh, come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because of the power that was coming out of him and healing them all. And then notice what it says here in verse 20. It says, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you. And then he begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount. So who is he talking to here? Who is he preaching to here? He is talking to and he is preaching to his disciples. That's what it says here in the text. And remember, he's not telling them. I mean, and remember, he is actually telling them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus is talking to his believers here. And they are first century Jewish believers to be sure. But the thrust of what Jesus is saying here is, is directed towards believers. And this is really, really important. Now, the second point that we need to ask as it relates to the immediate contest is, is what's he talking about here? Now, you might say, well, duh, Sherman. He's talking about judging others. That's what he's talking about. And I would say, well, you're kind of right, all right? I mean, that, that's actually, you know, part of the point, all right? But there's actually a little bit more to that in, than this. I mean, yes, he's addressing the subject of, of, of judging, but he's not, but not judging for judging's sake. He isn't just, you know, talking about judging in general. Jesus is speaking on a very, very narrow, specific subject here. Jesus is talking about judgment in a very specific, narrow sense. You see, there's something more in this text that a lot of people overlook when they read it. That's why it's so important to look at every text in the Bible in its entire context. You see, Jesus begins with this section where he talks to his audience of believers and says, don't judge, and then ends up at the tail end of this discussion, you know, telling his, his, his followers about their hypocrisy in the, way that we, that we, in the way that we judge other people. In fact, he says, why do you see the speck in your brother that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye? 
When you yourself cannot see the log that's in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly and take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, just follow along here. The, the, the focus of this entire passage here okay, is not how we judge the world. The focus of this passage here is how we relate to and judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice what he says here. He says, he says it first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Your brother's eye. Let me stop right here. Okay? The focus is on what we're doing for our brother. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a speck of something in your eye before? Like a piece of dirt, you know, or a rock, or, you know, an eyelash, right? And what happens when you get something in your eye? Even if it's tiny, it irritates you, it bugs you, it messes with your vision. It's all you can think about until you can get it out. If something's in your eye, it becomes extremely important to you all of a sudden to get it out, to remove it. Because when you get a foreign object stuck in your eye, it becomes an urgent matter in your life. Well, in fact, a few years ago, I actually had a splinter of wood embedded in my eye. And it was actually really, really tiny. You could barely see it, but it was painful. So I had to go to the doctor to remove it. And so I go to the ER doctor in Barstow, and, and that lady couldn't remove it. So I had to go wait the next day to go to my doctor in Cal City, and he couldn't remove it. And I was, I was miserable. This stupid little splinter in my eye. I couldn't drive. I couldn't think about anything else. I just wanted this thing out. It was consuming the entire part of my life. You know, and then they found the closest specialist you know, that my doctor could find to remove the splinter was in Fresno. So guess what we did? We got in the car and we drove to Fresno right then so they could take this speck of wood out of my eye. It was urgent. You see, picking the speck of wood out of my eye was critically important. Okay? And so in this context, you know, it isn't just a little bitty issue. A speck in your eye is an important issue to deal with. Your eye is important, so speck picking in this parable actually is an important activity. So let's read this, this again. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take, that speck that is, take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log that's in your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. You see, what this entire passage is actually all about is about seeing clearly so you can help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you have a speck or a log in your eye, you cannot help your brothers and sisters in Christ until you can see clearly. And so in order to see clearly, we need to remove that which is in our own eye so we can help others remove what's in their eye. And so they can do what? So they can see clearly too. Now take this in for a second. Because this passage of scripture is about how we relate to and how we teach and how we lead and how we judge and how we help other believers. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking to, other belie talking to believers about other believers. It's about our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he uses the word brother over and over and over again in this text. And so our goal from this text is that in our relationship with other people, our goal is to help them to see clearly. That's the goal, is to help them to see clearly the truth of God. And guess what? 
There are some things that we do as Christians that get in the way of that goal. And the number one thing that we can do that gets in the way of that goal is how we judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, let's, let's look at this text again in this proper context. Jesus says to believers living in this first century Jewish culture that's dominated by religious life, He says, judge not... And you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For this, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now let's just, let's just look at this for a second. Jesus is talking to a group of people who already know Jewish law. Okay? These people are familiar with the law of Moses and the Pharisees who are the keepers of this law. And the Pharisees were notorious for, for, for guess what? Judging. They were, they, were, they were notorious for judging people and condemning people and refusing to, to forgive people who they thought were sinners. And they refused to be generous with those who thought they thought they were unworthy. They were quick to condemn and slow to forgive and stingy with their love and their grace. And what Jesus is saying here is don't be like the Pharisees. Don't judge like the Pharisees judge. They judge other believers by the works of the law. Okay? They judge by what they do. Don't you judge that way. Because if you judge other believers by how well they keep the law that I will judge you by the same standard. And you don't want that because guess what? You can't keep the law any better than they can. That's what Jesus is saying here. You see, I don't want to judge another believer by the standard of the law because I'm not able to keep the law myself. I need to be careful not to judge them and their walk with God by the law because I don't want to be judged by that same standard because I will fail just as miserably as they are. See, it's important that I need to be careful in how I judge so I don't condemn them. I need to be careful not to condemn others according to the law because I stand already just as condemned. James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for, for all of it. So who am I to condemn one of my brothers and sisters in Christ for falling short of the law of God. Jesus is saying we need to be careful in how we judge. We need to be careful not to condemn. Yes, we must speak the truth. Yes, we still need to call sin, sin. Yes, we still need to reprove and rebuke and correct my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, I need to be careful. I need to be careful not to judge unfairly. And I need to be careful not to be condemning I need to be careful not to look down my nose at someone else. I need to be careful not to cast them out of our fellowship too hastily. I need to be careful not to look down my self-righteous nose at them. I need to be careful not to think that I'm better than they are. I need to be careful not to judge them according to the law. I need to be careful to judge them according to grace, the way that God looks at me. In fact, I need to be forgiving. I need to be generous. And you see, when Jesus says give here in this text, he's really not talking about money, okay? In fact, I hardly think that's what he's talking about here at all. In fact, this is one of those texts that people will take out of context. In fact, preachers especially will take this text right here completely out of context to prove their point. But what Jesus is saying here is when he says to give, he's saying you need to be generous. And what I mean by that is you need to be generous with your time. You need to be generous with your love. You need to be generous with, with, with giving people the benefit of the doubt. You need to be generous with your grace. You need to be generous with forgiveness. 
And if, in fact, a few verses, uh, uh, Jesus says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Be generous with all these things because God has been generous with you. So don't judge the wrong way and be condemning. Instead, tell the truth and be forgiving and, and love and, and be generous with your fellow believers. You see, Jesus isn't saying that we don't discern between right and wrong here and that we don't, you know, we don't judge sinful behavior. What Jesus is saying is that we need to be careful in how we do that for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. In fact, in the next verse, Jesus says, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? How can you teach somebody something that you don't know? How can you give someone direction if you don't know the way? How can you lead someone if you're just as blind as they are? That's why we need to be careful in how we judge. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And that means that if you're discipling someone, if you're instructing someone, if you're trying to help them to see the truth of God and you're trying to correct them, that person will only learn from you what you are actually able to teach because you can never teach or train or lead or rebuke anyone beyond your knowledge. You can't teach what you don't know. That's why Jesus says... Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Why do you see what's wrong with your brother, but you don't notice what's wrong with you? How can you point out his or her faults, and you're not even aware of your own faults? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out, that, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself cannot see the log that's in your own eye? You see, this is connected with the ignorance that Jesus was just talking about. How can you lead if you're blind? How can you teach if you do not know? How can you try to help someone see clearly if you yourself cannot see clearly? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you hypocrite, first, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, what Jesus is saying here is before you start running around and pointing out the flaws and the faults of other believers, you need to deal with your own. Before you try to rebuke someone about homosexuality, you need to deal with your own adultery. When, 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 when you try to deal with someone's gossiping, you need to deal with your own lack of generosity. Before you rebuke someone about their church attendance, you need to deal with your own lackluster prayer life. Jesus is saying you need to stop focusing on everyone else and what they're doing, and you need to start focusing on what you're doing and your own shortcomings. Because the very opposite of being Christ-like is to be a hypocrite. Now, is Jesus saying that we have to have it all together before we can rebuke anyone? Do we have to have it all together before we can re re reprove or, or correct anyone? I mean, do I have to be perfect before I speak the truth to other people? I mean, do I have to actually walk on water before I can actually, like, you know, tell people the truth about their sin in their lives? Well, no. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is we need to be careful and how we deal with other believers in the sin in their lives. We need to be careful in how we approach them. We need to be careful and not to be judgmental or condemning. We need to be careful not to become self-righteous Pharisees. 
Yes, we need, we, need to, we need to pick the specks out of our brother's eye. We certainly need to do that. That's actually helpful. That's a loving thing to do. We need to help them to see clearly. We need to help them to remove the foreign object you know, from their eye that damages you know, their ability to see. But we need to do it very carefully. We need to be forgiving as God is forgiving, which means we need to be generous with our forgiveness. We need to be generous with our love. We need to be generous with our time and our words and our grace. We need to be mindful of our limitations. We need to understand that there are just things that we're blind to. There are things that we don't know. There are things that we're ignorant of. And we need to understand that we can only lead them and teach them and correct them and exhort them within the limits of our knowledge, which means we need to do everything, everything, everything in our power to grow in that knowledge. We need to grow in our understanding of God. We need to grow in our spiritual maturity. And then we need to understand as much as we see the shortcomings of others, our own shortcomings are not always obvious to us, even if they're bigger than the ones that we see in other people, which means we need to continually examine our own hearts and our own lives in an effort to identify and remove those things that can get stuck in our eyesight. You see... We're supposed to help our brothers and sisters and grow and help them to remove the sin and the temptation in their lives. And we're supposed to help them to pick out the specks that are in their eyes. It's just we need to be careful, careful in how we do it. You see, when we examine this passage in the proper context, it becomes obvious that the conventional belief of those who are not Christians is completely inaccurate. It's completely inaccurate. So when someone says, don't you judge me, Right? Or you do, doesn't your Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? What you need to understand is they've completely misinterpreted what Jesus is saying is because they've completely taken it out of its context. End of story. Jesus is not telling people, his people, to sit down and shut up and have nothing to say about culture or the world at large or, or sin in the lives of people we know. He's not saying that we need to passively you know, look away when people are engaged in behaviors that are destructive. He's not saying that we need to remain silent when people engage in a spiritual suicide as they embrace the activities that God and His Word condemns. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. What He's saying is when it comes to other believers and helping them to grow and get past the sins in their lives, be careful in how you treat them. Be careful in how you lead them. Be careful in how you teach them. Be loving and gracious and generous. And most importantly, be aware of your own ignorance. You see, this text should bring us to a place of com complete humility before God because it reminds us of our dependence upon Him, which is the opposite of what the Pharisees, because of their keeping the law and their self-righteousness and their condemnation of others, brought them to a place of arrogance before God. You see, it's important to remember <clears throat> the universal truth that Jesus speaks in Luke 14, 11, where he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So now, now that we know this truth, and now that we have a, a clear understanding about what Jesus is talking about here, how do we take this and then apply it to our lives so we can be more like Christ? Because I've said many, many times, you know, application... I mean, knowledge without application is a waste of time. It's not good enough to know something. It's, it, it, you have to actually do something with what you know. And so what do we do with this? I mean, how do, we, how do we take this home? Well, there are three basic things that I think that you can do in your own life to help you apply this. And the first one is we need to go before God regularly 
and pray to him and ask him, Lord, reveal to me where I'm falling short. Help me to see the log that's in my eye. Help me to see my shortcomings and then help me to remove it. Okay? And what we've got to understand here, this is not a one-time thing. Okay? You don't do this once and then I'm good for the rest of my life until Jesus comes back. This is an ongoing exercise. You need to pray this all the time. And the second thing you need to do is you need to be continually in the Word of God. Because you don't know what you don't know. And your ignorance hampers your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. You need to be continually in the Word of God. So that way you have the wherewithal to be able to lead and teach and disciple other people. And then the third thing is when you come to that place where you know you need to address something in the life of someone else, whether it's a family member or a fellow Christian or, or just a friend, we need to be able to go before God and pray that he prepares our hearts. Lord, my, body, my, my, my buddy is, uh, is committing adultery. And I know that he's a believer, but he's caught up in this sin. And, 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 I, and I know I need to say something but I don't want to walk in my own strength and in my own wisdom. I don't want to go and walk, you know, and talk to him ignorant of what I need to say. And I certainly don't want to go and talk to him, you know, and have my glaring flaws and faults on display that will make me look like a hypocrite to him and be ineffective. So prepare me, Lord. Prepare my heart and my mind. Help me to lovingly rebuke and restore my brother. Help me to, to lovingly point out that sin. Help me to share your word in an effort to bring correction to his life. If you're going to have to talk to someone about their sin, as we are all called to do, we need to go before God and get prepared. That's how you apply this text to your lives. That's how we become more like Jesus. Now what about others? Because we kind of like just kind of set that aside. What about the rest of the, the world? How do we address them in their sin? Well, let me just start with saying, with all humility, we need to do it with love and respect and grace and truth. And similarly, we need to go before God in prayer, examining our own hearts, asking Him that He would prepare us. And we need to stay in the Word of God, continually growing in our knowledge of Him. And we need to continually, continually speak the truth in love. Always being faithful to the truth, but always humble before God. That's how we do that. So let me pray for you. Lord God, there are just some things in Your Word that are difficult. Some things are just difficult to apply to our own lives. Some things are just hard because it's just so easy for us to just fall into that place where we just want to just like point fingers and look down our nose. And, and when people are different than us and foreign, you know, to, uh, to the way we do things. And when people's faults are just so glaringly obvious to us, it's easy for us to just kind of like look past our own stuff. I just pray, Lord God, that you bring us that place of humility and we would, we would humble ourselves before you. And we would go and we would love our fellow believers. And we would, we would do so with gentleness and grace, Lord. And, and as we have occasion to help someone and, and to pick the speck out of their eye, Lord, that we would just be prepared to do that. And we, and we would start with first, like, examining our own hearts. And that we would certainly be prayed up to do it, Lord. And we would do it with gentleness and love. And, Lord, that we just also pray that you would help us to stand firm. That when the world tries to call us out and say, don't you judge me, that we lovingly with grace push that back and help them to see that is not at all what Jesus was talking about. And so, Father God, I just pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds. 
And I pray, Lord God, you'd raise up in this congregation the people who'd go out and storm the gates of hell in this community and around the world. I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified in our midst. And I pray, Lord God, right now, again, for the families who, who need your help and for, uh, for the individuals who need your touch today. And I just pray, Father, you'd Please be glorified. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.